we did some crazy spring break, like really just MTV kind of iconic shows. I did a New Year's in Times Square to go produce Ludacris on the top of the ABC building. You are now listening to The Living Numbers and Tony Rambles, 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 and The Living Numbers Podcast. Okay, here we go. All right. This is The Living Numbers Podcast, where the numbers tell the story, but the people give it purpose. A new intro there for you all. Of course, make sure you like, subscribe, download. All of that great stuff, rate and review, you all know the deal. Now, of course, we have someone on for the first time, and we have to give her a fabulous intro. All right. Hailing from Red Bank, New Jersey, she earned her bachelor's in communications from Elon University, the Phoenixes. I don't know what the plural is of that. <laughs> she worked TV production. For 16 years on a few networks that you may have heard of, Viacom, E, TV Guide, A&E, and TLC. After a come-to-Jesus moment in high heels, she pivoted to shaping her new life as an entrepreneur, opening Snapology and Mammoth, more on that later, becoming creator and host of the Second Act Success podcast, certified career coach, and her greatest work as mom of two boys. She believes each person has many levels of brilliance, but we all have to answer the question, what's next for me? Hydration champion, great question asker, and positive thinker, I present the Shannon Russell. Say hello to the people. Hi, everybody. Hi, Tony. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm excited, too. Um, people will be able to see if they subscribe, all of the wonderful conversations we have before and after. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we just kicked it around. This is going to be a great episode. So our first number is five years because that is the average lifespan of a restaurant or a diner. And your grandfather actually had a diner where you spent a lot of time and he had such a huge impact on you. So what I want you to do is I want you to tell us some of the characteristics that he had and maybe a fun story about being at the diner and being around your grandfather. Take us back to those childhood moments. Oh, you're going to make me cry. (laughs) They were so amazing. Um, So yeah, so he opened a little diner luncheonette in our local golf course. And I think I was about 13 or 14, probably not even old enough to work, but my cousins and I would go and help him out there, especially over the summers. Um, He was known for his it's a very Jersey thing, but his pork roll, egg and cheese, Taylor ham, egg and cheese is what he would make for the golfers. Give a cup of coffee. Um, and yeah, he just, uh, we always like to say that we don't know if his food was good, but the golfers would come and stop and just talk to him because he was retired, had so many stories from the war. He used to drive trucks around New York city. He managed a go-go bar. He called it for many years. Like, like he just had a crazy life. So 
people just came to talk to him about his stories. Um, and it was fun to just watch him interact while I was cleaning or getting things together and getting orders. He just um, was a people person. And it was just amazing to watch him talk because I adored him. But now I was able to see all of these strangers adoring him too. So it was, it was cool to see that angle of my grandpa. Do you, ha- do you remember anyone specifically that would just come in all the time? Any of those kind of stories that they would bat around? I know you're probably eavesdropping. That's what I would have been doing. <laughs> yes, for sure. Really, it was just them coming in. And I don't even know. It wasn't anyone. I wish I could say that there was like a celebrity or someone who came in. But it was just all of these guys that were his age, kind of his peers. And my grandfather not that he wasn't in good health, but he wasn't the guy who was going to be out there golfing. You know, he was Mm -hmm. more of just behind the counter, but these guys would come in and they would tell him about their day and he would listen or he would tell stories. And the funny thing actually is that my family would often say that he made up his stories, but I always believed his stories. Like he told a story about jumping out of a plane during the war, the Korean war. And he broke both of his ankles and he would just tell these stories and these guys would just eat it up. And, um, that was just the most incredible part is just kind of, you know, I don't know if he even worked. I don't think he charged the guys. It was just kind of this space for them to come that he created. That was just inspirational to watch. Did he, do you feel like he kind of handed some of that to you? Do you feel like some of that kind of, are you a people person like that? Do you just, are you just inviting or you have people always wanting to talk to you? Um, I'm a thousand percent a people person. I can talk to anyone and I do. And so, yeah, I think I probably got a lot of that from him. I have a lot of outgoing people in my family, but I'd say him and my father for sure are complete. Like my dad will start up a conversation with the gas attendant or the toll guy on the highway. Like that's just how he is too. Um, So, yeah, but I don't think at that time I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I was dead set on going into television, which is where I went first. And it was later in life when I did become an entrepreneur that I looked back and really realized how much I soaked in from that experience of working there with him to bring to me. Um, And I wish he was around to see that I did that and to see that I followed his footsteps in that way. What are some things that you soaked up like about being an entrepreneur that you looked at later on like oh huh like I did kind of learn this from my grandma grandfather maybe from either watching it or something that he specifically taught you directly definitely the people aspect because even Mm. with um, both of my businesses um, my first business that I opened is Snapology so it's a brick and mortar center here where I get to teach kids STEM education so Lego building robotics all that good stuff and it's a very personable you know, business, because I'm not only Mm. teaching the kids, I'm having forming relationships with the parents that come in and, you know, we do birthday parties and we do all of these big events. So I'm constantly having to talk to other people and really become friends with these other parents. I have parents of kids who come to my classes that friend me on Facebook and we go out for drinks, you know? So it's, I probably am too friendly (laughs) to an extent with um, customers, but I think that's how you grow your business. And I, you know, I have a very successful business and I, I really do attribute the, the time that I take to really get to know my customers to, to that fact. And that is what I learned from my grandfather for sure. That is so important. And we were talking about it before Mm -hmm. this whole started about how important it is to not, we didn't say it like this specifically, but this is how I tell my kids at school. 
you can't put the work before the people. Yeah. Like if you do that, you just can miss out on so many great relationships and great people that you can meet. And we talked about uh, just those spark sparking up conversations. And so we were at podcast movement together, even though we didn't cross paths. I have no idea how that happened. <laughs> uh, but, you know, these breakout sessions happen, these trainings are happening. And we both agree. If you're talking with someone in that conversation, is just flowing like y'all are connecting. Don't leave that. That is so, so important because you never know not just what you can gain from it in the future. Right. Not every relationship turns into a business relationship. But it may just be for that moment, that 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 day and time where in it makes a, a difference in life. Like I remember this uh, lady named Sybil. She was talking to me and she just gave me so much. I mean, she talked to me for about 45 minutes. She <laughs> didn't have to. She's been podcasting for years and years. She's got tons of stuff that she has going on. She didn't have to take her time out to talk to me. But you know, I was just friendly and I connected and this lady poured into me, right? She didn't know me from Adam, but when you just take the time to, to nourish those relationships and, and take advantage of those connections in the best way, you just never know like what can come through those in, in life. Yeah. And so you are given an opportunity in TV production which is going to move us to our next set of numbers. I okay. usually have one, but hey, it's my podcast. We have as many numbers as I like. <laughs> These both relate to you directly, though. These are good. Watch this. Okay, 1.77% of people in LA work in entertainment. That is number one in the country. That doesn't sound like a lot, but it is. What mm -hmm. Do you know what number is? I don't. New York. Oh, yes, obviously. <laughs> so 1.338% of people in New York work in entertainment. And so Ooh. obviously we talked a little bit about you cut your teeth in television production, 16 years. So who gave you a shot in TV? I know as a teacher, I remember the first principal that said, okay, we're going to give you a shot. We're going to hire you. We're going to see what you got. And that just meant so much to me for somebody to believe in me when they could have said, eh, we looking for somebody with experience or something else. So who was that person that said, I think Shannon is the right person for the job? That's easy. That's Suzanne Marino and Anna Muccio. Those are two amazing women who were in the, they, they did a lot at MTV, but they were in charge of the internship program. So I interned not only once, but twice at MTV. I kept going back throughout my college experience. And um, they even pitched to me to start working before graduation. And I was like, hold up. I love school. I've got to go graduate. But then they gave me my first job after graduation. So mm. really, um, they were they were so instrumental in so many of my friends who started around the same time as me. So it was them. Man, that, that makes a difference, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody you are like, yeah, yep, yep, you're the one. And you did such a great job that they wanted you back. Yeah. <laughs> what was your favorite show? Like just kind of over the years. It could be show, it could be just, you know, I don't know all the ins and outs, but 
What's one of your favorite things that you did that you're proud of? You go, you know what? We did a great job. Oh, gosh. Um, well, at MTV, which I was at for the most um, chunk of time, I guess, was just we did some crazy spring break, like really just MTV kind of iconic shows um, that were amazing. Also, New Year's. I did a New Year's in Times Square where I was in the middle of Times Square walking with security guards while all the people were, you know, on the side of barriers to go produce ludicrous on the top of the ABC building. And that is something that I'll never forget. Confetti falling on me. He's singing at the drop of midnight. Um, that was really, really incredible. And then other, other than MTV, I produced a show for the TV guide network that maybe not a lot of people watched, but it was the pre-show and post-show to American Idol at the height of that show. So I knew everything about American Idol. We had um, past contestants on. We had all the winners on. And so they would we were set up outside of American Idol's um, studio at the CBS lot in L.A. And um, uh, we would interview everyone before they went into the show and afterwards. And um, just such a great crew of people. And my hosts were amazing. And it was a great experience for several years. Okay, who are some of these people that you just remember so fondly? Because, again. It's about the people, like no matter what the job is, it could be great or it could be just the absolute worst, depending on who you're working next to. I'm sure you have some stories like that, too. Uh, who are some of those great people? At American Idol uh, or at uh, my Idol show was obviously Justin Guarini. He was, you know, from the first season, he was one of my hosts. So he was the talent. I was a producer. We became really close in the years that I was producing him. He was such an amazing guy. Um, A lot of the idols were, were great and just, you know, really fun to come through. But we also had random other guests at the time that I worked at TV Guide Network. Um, We interviewed Henry Winkler. Like I did a fashion show there as well, like a style Mm -hmm. show. Henry Winkler is still one of the nicest people I've ever had the chance to meet. Um, Just knew everyone's name walking through. So he's someone I always think back to how wonderful he was um, just at that, my time at that particular network. Do you have any stories of people who were just the worst? No, I'm just playing. Don't say those. I will not say those. (laughs) (laughs) What, um, what are some things that, are difficult about being a TV producer, like things that people like myself wouldn't know? Um, Definitely, I would say probably the hours. It's really long hours. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, when you're shooting on location, you're just around the clock. And so it's, it's hard to have a life outside of the particular show you're on at the time, just because of the hours and the amount of stress and pressure. But on this flip side, if you're with a great crew, like you want to be with those people, they're your friends and that's who you want to hang out with for drinks afterwards anyway. So I had a lot of that of working with just some of my best friends still from all the different, you know, years and different shows. Um, And aside from that, it's really the freelance life. Like a lot of people think you make a lot of money in television and it's so, you know, glitz and glam. Yeah. But um, on the flip side of that, though, it's we're all freelance. So you get hired on a project and then that project ends. You finish shooting the show and you're finished until you get hired on the next one. So Mm. there can sometimes for people, if you don't have a really great network of, of contacts, you could be off for another six months. So it's a matter of like really kind of budgeting and, you know, you don't get that stability um, and there's no benefits. So you're really just, you know, you're kind of struggling. You're, you're like a struggling 
actor, but you're on the production side of it. You know, it's just a lot of back and forth freelance. And just listening to your story, I would think that that's kind of, I think that people would think that that's more of the stable positions, like things that are, that are behind the camera, but clearly I am wrong. It also reminded me of when I used to work in oil and gas. And again, it is almost the same exact setup where you get hired. A project could be for six weeks. It could be six months. It could be for six years and you go to work. There are no benefits unless you kind of set it up on your own or unless you get hired by a specific company to work for them all the time. But a lot of times it just doesn't happen that way. And you're just kind of freelance. And if you don't make any connections, Again, it always comes back to the people. If you don't have any connections, you have no idea when that next job is. Now you work with multiple companies simultaneously. So you may get a call from company X and they'll go, hey, we got a project coming up in a month. Can you go? And then you may get a call from company Z and they go, we got a a project coming up in two weeks, right? So just based on your experience, your credentials, what certifications you have, You know, you could stay pretty busy. You can make a lot of money, especially in safety, which is what I did and what my dad does. And you could be on the lower end of the totem pole where it's like, oh, man, this stinks. Do I just need to get a, another job? Like, do I need to yeah. start doing something different? And I think that brings us to a great place here where we've talked about the TV production side and how awesome that was and how many great people you met. But I think there comes a time in life where things start to shift and you don't want to trade time for money anymore. And if you do, you want to get paid top dollar (laughs) and you don't want to do it all the time. So that brings us to our next number, which is 17 million. That is the price for the most expensive high heel in the world. $17 $17 million. And I think you know where I'm going with this. Uh-huh. It's called the Passion Diamond Shoe. It is made by Passion Jewelers in Dubai and it's made out of gold, diamond, leather, and silk. And it takes nine months to make. I was like, this is this is out of control. This is just people with money to burn. Yeah. That's, they're not us. That's not, <laughs> not us at all. <laughs> But I looked up this number because I listened to you tell this story on another podcast and I thought this is a great story. I need her to tell it here. So you have a come to Jesus moment in high heels on a subway where you feel like, okay, life has to change. So please, Shannon, tell us the story. Sure. So I started my career in New York City and then I moved to Los Angeles and I had my first son. And then we moved back to the East Coast and I continued to work in New York City. And it was during that time that I became pregnant with my second son. So now I had an almost three year old and then I was pregnant and I was commuting for about, it was probably about two hours, you know, back door to door, if you will, from my Mm -hmm. house in New Jersey to Manhattan for my job. And, um, I was in my heels and I was on the subway and I just realized that, okay, I have to rush to take the subway to the bus, to the car, to the daycare, to pick up my son because he's not feeling well. Um, or I can go interview Carrie Underwood. 
And it was one of those moments of like, I don't want to do, I don't care anymore about Carrie in that interview. It just, everything kind of shifted for me. And I realized this is too much. The stress of that commute back to get my little one while I have a eight month old, you know, almost baby in my belly just didn't, I was just so set on needing to be with the kids. Um, And it just, I realized that all of the excitement and all the fun of the industry, I, it just didn't mean anything to me anymore. And that was my Mm -hmm. come to Jesus moment of get me out of here and help me figure out what else to do, because it was just becoming more harmful and stressful, I think, than fun at that point. Um, Mm. and I just wasn't enjoying what I was doing and the stress of it. Um, so yeah, that was my moment. when I realized, okay, something has to change. What was the, what were the emotions before that moment? Like, because I'm pretty sure it was like, you get a call, your son is sick. Now you got to like, basically figure it out. And I have a son 13 months. So I kind of can like put myself in like, okay. Right. And then the emotions right after you made that decision. Cause a lot of times those are like, it's like something turns on, like something clicks in your head and you Mm -hmm. go no more. more. So like, what were those emotions? Like right before that you get the call, things got to happen. And then you make this decision. And again, things got to happen. So even leading up to that, my role at that particular job that I was at, I was in charge of my team. Um, and that was nice that I was in, in charge so that I could make the decision that I would leave early every day at four o'clock so that I could go across town and make a bus by four 30 so that I could take an hour and 15 minute bus ride to pick my son up by six o'clock. It was the guilt every single day of having to duck out on my team that was going to work until six or seven at night. Even though I was going to be working on my phone on the bus and working when I got home, it still was that guilt of, Mm. bye, I'm leaving. I'm the only one that has a child. And, you know, it probably felt unfair to them, even though they never said that to me. So it was always that stress leading up to it. And then that moment when I found out that he was sick I had my parents who were a 30 minute drive and here I'm like almost a two hour drive to him. And I believe so on that particular day, my dad went and got him or my mom went and got him, but it was just the idea that I couldn't be there for my son and that I was having to almost Mm. choose sides. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Like you're just kind of like, okay, well, what do you choose? And it was just that stress the whole time of getting there, getting home, making sure he felt okay. And shortly after that, I went out on my maternity leave to have my second son. And um, another like kind of epiphany happened when I got a phone call. I still know where I was pushing the stroller and um, my other son was walking alongside of me. And I got a phone call from my friend who was one of my bosses. And she said, our show was canceled. And I said, all right. And normal Shannon would have said, okay, well, pick up the phone and call someone else and try to figure out what show to jump on next. And I was just like, no. That was the sign from God that, okay, like this is it. And it almost was like a weight lifted that I didn't have to make that Mm. decision. But then a different kind of emotion came of like, okay, what do I do? And I have to contribute to my family and, you know, all those other emotions when you're changing um, careers. But yeah, 
it was a help. It was a help that it was canceled at least. So I didn't have to yeah. make that decision on my own. Right. It just really forced you to go, okay, if I want to do this, like, here we go. I'm, I'm in it. Now is the time. Let's roll. Yep, exactly. The decision was yeah. made for me, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could, but you could have easily got on the phone after working so long. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure you could have got on another show or got at another, another network mm-hmm. and continue to, to, you know, get on the wheel yeah. and keep running and try to figure it out. I'm sure you're so resourceful that you would have been able to do that, but there was a change. Yep. There was a change. And I, I'm going through that right now, you know, because as a teacher and I, it's well documented how much teachers work and add uh, coaching to sports having a club and then just kind of wanting to be involved, wanting to be around. I'm just that kind of person where yeah. if something's happening, like, Hey, you know, what's, what's up? You know, I want to see, I want to be a part, you know, I want to enjoy the experience because my, co- my high school experience wasn't that great. So I almost feel like I'm kind of living some of this stuff because I didn't get to do it when I was in school. I didn't have the the wherewithal to say, you know what, theater is actually pretty cool. I like theater. Mm-hmm. Why not just go to some of these plays, you know? And I do now, but it's different because it's it's a job now, and I do have a wife, I do have a son. So it's, you come into this realization where you go, I don't know, man. I enjoy this stuff, and you loved your job. I remember hearing you say it, man. I it was awesome. You talk about all the great peoples, all the great stuff that you've done that you were proud of. But at some point you go, I, I can't do this anymore. Even though I love it, even though it's great, yeah, I can't do it anymore. And so like for me, and I don't know who's going to be listening, but <laughs> you just got to kind of start to make some, make some decisions. So like, what were a couple of things that you had to do to kind of put yourself in position to transition from running this TV production lifestyle to now, I don't know what's next. I don't know what it is, but I know it's going to be different. Well, my husband is a television producer as well. So if you think about it, we both don't have benefits. We're both in the freelance world. So for me, he might be making good money, but I still couldn't rely on that. So Mm -hmm. staying at home wasn't really a an option. So I started thinking like, okay, well, I just cannot do that commute to Manhattan anymore. So what can I do that I can be closer and more easily available to the kids? And I, you know, actually I, I always, I've been saying that I I did a couple things wrong and that's why I coach people now so that I can kind of stop them from doing what I did. I jumped into a graduate school program and started deciding I wanted to be a teacher, Tony. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go get my master's in education. And I had friends who were teachers who told me it's not a good time. Um, You're shaking your head. (laughs) Um, But I was like, oh, I can do this. I can do anything I put my mind to. I'm going to do it. So put all this money into this program. Got pretty far along to the point where they said, okay, well, now you're ready to go in and do your student teaching, which meant Mm. in the meantime, I I just took a random nine to five job that I absolutely hated so much. But so, so much. It was just not me at all. And I just needed to get out of there. Um, But I was doing classes at night and I was like, well, I would love to quit this nine to five job, but I need money. And now I'm going to student teach and not make any money and pay for daycare. It just there was a lot of things that just weren't happening. 
Oh yeah. Daycare. <laughs> um, gosh. Um, and then, so one day, actually, I can actually picture where I was sitting in my car. It was like outside of, um, Subway sandwich shop and I was having lunch, trying to get away from the nine to five job. And I was listening to one of my favorite podcast hosts, um, Marie Forleo. And she had like this little free webinar that you could listen to about, you know, being an entrepreneur and like going for it. And just, that was another kind of come to Jesus moment where I said, all right, maybe I can do this. And I started Mm. researching like, okay, I like being in charge of things. Um, That's what I'm used to from production, kind of like making a script, you know, really just being in charge of a production. And then I really think I, I love education and, you know, raising my boys at the time, I was like starting to see them like building with Legos and kind of just really getting into the zone of creating things. And I, I was like, I'm going to start a company that teaches STEM education. And I did all this research. And that's when I came across the franchise I ended up buying, Snapology. Um, And, you know, I was talking with my husband, like, I think I'm going to stop the graduate school program. And I think I want to open this business. And of course, he was like, whoa, 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 this is like crazy. You're jumping from one thing to the next. Like, what's going on? And he came with me. We met with the CEOs that was out in Pittsburgh. And I was like, this is it. Like, something was just telling me, like, you've got to try And it was the best decision I ever made because I learned so much. I was able to use all of my skills from the past and um, it, yeah, it was the best kind of let's jump into something else crazy and see if it works. Let's roll the dice. And that actually brings us to our next number because I do want you to talk about Snapology and how that works. And just as you were talking, I was thinking like, being a teacher is kind of a production, right? You have to plan everything out beforehand. You got your uh, your schedule for each day. You got like units. So, you know, that's kind of like yeah. a beginning, middle, end of a movie, you know, writing a script, that kind of thing. Uh, the hard part is that you can't like control everybody and what they do and right. say in class. <laughs> True. <laughs> that's the hard part. But our next number here is 286 thousand dollars and i found this because the usda did a study and it says to raise two children from birth to 17 costs about two hundred and eighty six thousand dollars. yes i know i know you got your hands on your head i am literally feeling the same way because i only got one and hopefully a second will come at some point shout out to my wife yes um but you had to make some transitions, right? And so talk about like, what was the next steps once you decided, all right, Snapology is it. And I'm starting this business. I'm leaving graduate school. What happens next? Well, I'm paying off the graduate school, even though I didn't finish, (laughs) which is like, you know, everybody's story. Um, But actually, I, I think that, that, yeah, But I think that led me to this. If you think about it like that, I always, as we're writing the checks each month, I'm thinking like that led me to this because I realized I learned so much in that. Um, But Mm. it really led me to something that was even more better fitting for my family, I guess. Um, But yeah, so I just, you know, launched this company out of my house. I didn't have a brick and mortar at the time. So the, the model of Snapology is you can work kind of as a mobile. So you can work out of your house, get jobs at different schools and rec centers and teach classes there to grow the business. So I actually ended up doing that for two years, which was great because I was able to pick up the kids from daycare. Um, The kids could sit with me and sort Legos before a class. They could come with me to a class. So just already 
my life mm. and being able to really be involved with the kids had which tremendously changed. Um, it was phenomenal. And um, luckily, I just kind of took off really quickly. I think a lot of my work in TV, like dealing with publicists and agents and writing scripts, I mean, all of that, I was able to really market the business from day one. I could, you know, write our press releases. I could write different marketing materials and I had the support of the parent franchise owner. So it really took off quickly. Um, and that was great. And then, um, I ended up opening a brick and mortar, um, actual center, a STEM center. And that even, that was two years in, and that was just even more wonderful because you know what, if my kids get sick, they can come with me here. Like I could still keep working, um, and bringing money into my family. And we just grew so much exponentially more with the center itself. Um, Mm. so really it just was, um, it was perfect for what I, how I wanted to show up as a mom. Yeah. Having kids, they change everything. I know for me, I'm always like for me, for me. Uh, But you know, I I had the podcast and I was working on it all summer. I mean, I literally just threw myself into my podcast. Like it was a job every day. I was working on stuff every day, every day. And then once school started back, it was like, man, I, I can't work on this the way that I wanted to. And you go, uh-oh, I think I'm coming to a coming to Jesus moment. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but you can't just quit your job and leave everything. You know, so what are some things that are still changing for you as you try to balance now being a business owner as well as a podcaster? And being a mom and a wife and all of those things. It's um, still a lot of balance, but I still feel like my kids can be really involved. So my Snapology business has grown to a point where I have an amazing team of people. I have a great friend who is now a manager for me. So she kind of you know, runs that. I'm still very much involved, mm-hmm. but my team can handle it. So since I launched Second Act Success in around March or April of this year, Um, I let my team know so that they kind of went to my manager more than me. They knew that I was going to take a little bit of a step back to grow this other business that I care about Mm. so much. And having that was, was tremendous because if I was still totally into Snapology 24 seven, I wouldn't be able to grow second act success. Um, But it's nice to have the support of them. They love the podcast and they're listening and they're like, oh, this is so great. And talking to me about it when I'm at work. So it's nice. But um, the podcast and really like developing my I have a course coming out in the fall, you know, just the coaching aspect of what I do that can all be done from my home office. So my kids can still Mm. be there. They think it's super cool to hear mommy on the podcast apps when we listen and they want to be a part of it. It's actually funny. And I, I think I said this on one of my podcasts is that, you know, if the kids are on their iPad and it's, you know, we're watching TV at night, I'll get on the computer and my husband will be like, oh, are you on the computer again? And the boys go, no, it's her hobby. She loves it. I'm like, it's not really a hobby, but I do love it. <laughs> but, but, you know, like they know that it's fun for me. And I think that's important to kind of show our kids that we like work, that we're happy with what we do so that they don't grow up dreading going to work. And right. I, you know, I feel like I'm trying to really involve my kids as much as possible in, in both businesses. Uh, so how'd you start the podcast? How did that happen? 
So, so I just knew I've been obsessed with podcasts for years. And that was kind of the reason, um, listening to all these different entrepreneur podcasts, when I opened Snapology, I just kind of was listening to them and I'm like, there's something that I think maybe I could do this. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I started having a lot of friends ask me, like, how did you go from TV to owning a children's business? Like, how did you do that? Um, even customers of mine at Snapology would say like, oh, what grade did you teach? Which I take as such a compliment. And I'm like, no, I'm not a teacher. I was a television producer. So I started realizing that a lot of people want to change and they just don't know how. And so mm -hmm. I started helping friends and acquaintances kind of figure out their second act and their next move. And I was like, I think that this could actually be helpful to get this idea out to more people. And so I worked on the idea of the podcast for a while and took a course to kind of help me figure out how to do it. And I launched it in April. I think it was end of March, early April. Yep. And it's, it's been amazing. Like meeting people like yourself and just, you know, getting to really hear other people's stories. Um, I'm mm. going to start doing some more solo podcasts, but I've mainly been doing just guest interviews to have people tell their stories and the hopes that it inspires others. Um, so I record at my Snapology office, which is where I am right now. Um, I have it half decked out for a podcast, but this is where I record. Um, again, my kids can come. They can wait outside if I need them to. It's just been really fun to be able to dive in and, and get this going at the same time. Because obviously, as you know, podcasts take a long time to become something that you can monetize. Um, so luckily I have my other business that can contribute to my family financially while I grow this business. So yeah. It's What's been your favorite part so far? Talking to people like Tony, you and I talked for like 20 minutes before we started recording. Like I just feel like meeting people and then really truly like feeling like you have a friendship that you can continue. And I don't know about you, but like I've had guests on my podcast or I've guested on other podcasts where you know, we live in different countries, um, but we're supportive on social and checking in all the time. And, you know, I have a great friend that I met who guested on my podcast that lives in England and we talk almost every day. And so it's, wow. it's cool to just, and now these people are not only friends, but you can go to them and, and say, Hey, can you help me with this? Or like, I can go to you, Tony, and be like, did you do this for your podcast? I have a question for you. Like that part is really, yeah, it's like a community. I feel like that we're a part of that is so special. Don't you think? I 100% agree because what happens is, is it starts off a lot of times as a passion project. So just like you, it was like, man, I, I kind of, I want to help people. This is kind of cool. I think I can do it. I think I can do a good job. And then you start to kind of do your research. I'm like, okay, you don't really take, it doesn't take that much to start. The point right. of entry is very low. It's very easy to start a podcast. Yeah. And there's so many free uh, hosting websites that can help you get your stuff out there and all that kind of great stuff. Graphics. I mean, you could do stuff on Canva, but it takes a lot of work to do it well and to maintain it and have consistency, which everybody will tell you. So once you start to do all this work, you're like, man, I need to get paid for all the work I'm doing. Yeah. Absolutely. How that's possible? Because clearly, like we know people are getting paid, but you have to kind of see how that is going to work for you. Uh, so I think you're probably going through the same thing, just yeah. like I am, where you go, man, I think I'm I'm doing something pretty special. I'm meeting a lot of great people. 
feel like I'm offering something of value. Mm -hmm. So now do I take it to the next level? Like, how do I market it? How do I now get paid? And how do I then connect with people who are doing it on a scale that is bigger than mine? And how do I learn from those people? Which is something that we both went to like podcast movement for. We're both there last week. And what are, I know this is not like in the notes, but as we talk about this, maybe what are some of your like two takeaways that you got from, from last week? Well, definitely the video part to really show up on video, both on your podcast and on social. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm a behind the scenes producer person. So for me to, you know, turn the camera around and do little TikToks is not really my style, but I really realized that I have to, because people want to get to know the voice behind the podcast that they love. Right. And, and I feel like that only will help us grow and reach that many more people. So that was a big takeaway. That was a big, like, okay, I know I need to do this. And now I really have to start doing it. Um, and really just like, like you kind of said about, you know, people that are kind of on the, you know, level above us that you can look up to. And I think kind of studying what they're doing and and taking notes and really working towards that goal. Like what is your next three month goal for the podcast? Because we could sit here and have conversations every single week with someone, but to make it to that next level where we are mm. getting paid for our time because it is ours. People don't realize how long it takes to produce a podcast, <laughs> edit a podcast, promote a podcast. So, so I think that's another thing of just kind of, I know people to, to watch and mm. kind of give myself those mini goals to try to reach um, throughout the next year. But already, Tony, you and I are showing up and we are of the small percentage that are consistent and, and really putting out the content. So I think we've already, we've already surpassed a, a hurdle that a lot of people don't. I'm going to give you a virtual pat on the back, Shannon. <laughs> yes, you I don't know if People can look at that. Yes. And you guys decide if the pat was on the back or whatever. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is, uh, I guess, the last part of our interview where I ask uh, the three what's to every guest. So you've seen these beforehand. I'm pretty sure you've got some great answers because you've done some great things. <laughs> so our first what is in or outside of your field of expertise, what's an opinion you have that we that will be considered unpopular? That is the hard one. Um, I'm still deciding on that one. I think, I think the idea that you can be busy as a parent, um, be really active and and love your job, but that you can still be a good parent. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I feel like people think you need to be a thousand percent in your child's face at all times and at every Mm -hmm. single thing. Um, and maybe put them first, which trust me, my kids, I'm surprised they're not sitting here right now. They're so attached to me and I'm attached to them, but they see that I love both of my businesses. And I think that shows them that there's more, that it's okay to have a working mom that is busy and maybe not there all the time. Does that make sense? Like instead of, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm there for everything, but like last week, went away for a week to podcast movement and I learned so much and I called them every day. And I was, I I feel like they saw the joy in my face of what I was 
you know, learning while I was away from them. So I think you can be busy as a parent. You can have your hobbies as a parent. You can have interests outside of your family and still be a really great parent because you know what? You're teaching them so much of a really well-rounded parent, I guess, if that's right. Might not be popular, but. I would implore you, I would implore everyone to have a balanced lifestyle because guess what? You're going to want your kids to know how to put themselves first, to not overwork themselves, to not overextend themselves, to even friends and family. Like you have to take care of yourself or you're not going to be able to be your best for anyone else. Yeah. So there is now I'm not saying like be a narcissist, only think about yourself, but you do got to make sure you take care of you. And the best way to show your kids that is by doing it. And so having hobbies, having a healthy work relationship, and then making time for for friends and family. And it's not always easy. And I was just talking to a student about this today where you just can't get time back. Like you can't. And so if you spend all of it working, then, you know, you miss out on those relationships. But if you spend all of it with your kids, you may look back and say, well, dang, I really think I could have did something special, but but I never tried. And so I think that's something that we all can take away from it. So believe in that unpopular opinion. I'm with you. (laughs) But you know what, Tony, too, just real quick, like it's also hard because like, you know, we both have other jobs, right? You're a teacher. I have Snapology. But then when it comes to the podcast, it's, it's fun and we love it. So don't you feel like there's times where you should be hanging out with the kids, but you want to get on and do some work. Yeah. And that's like the, the hard balance that I I'm still trying to teach myself that, you know, they might be doing something else, but I can be doing it with them. So I don't need to every free second go on my computer, but I think it's a learning curve for us to just learn because we do love it so much. And it's just a testament to that. Don't you think? My wife will be amen in you right now. <laughs> you know, my husband too, probably. <laughs> because, you know, especially for us, because we're so new at it. We feel like there's so much I still need to learn. There's so much I still need to do. There's so much that I, I don't know. Like, I feel like I, I don't want to miss anything. I don't want to miss a post or I don't want to miss a message from somebody. You know, I don't want to miss putting something on the schedule. It's like, ah, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to mess this thing up because I I, I love what I do. And, And sometimes it's just, it is so much fun. Like I do a ton of research on my, I don't say ton. I don't want to make it seem like I'm some brainiac or something, but I do research on my guests before I have them on. So it's cool to find out these things like, like we were talking out, you love pizza and you love staying hydrated. <laughs> I am the same exact way. I love pizza and I, I've got my water, see, everywhere we go. And yeah. so it's cool to find things out and then to be able to talk to you on, on here and have you as a guest and just connect. Again, we're connecting and there's people. So, okay, second what? If you, oh, this might be hard. If you weren't in the field of having your own business as an entrepreneur, uh, as well as podcasting, what would you be doing? Like what field would you work in? I was thinking about this. I can honestly say I've I've had two dream jobs or if you will, or, you know, I feel like I've, I've been very fortunate, 
But I've always wanted to write. I've always wanted to write children's books or even young adult novels. Like I'm into the YA, like I love Pretty Little Liars and all of those kind of um, that genre. So I would love to just have the time to write, like ideally on a beach in Hawaii, writing a book um, Yes, that, that has nothing to do with business or anything else. <laughs> but that's what I would love to do. Wow. What do you... Uh... Do the things that you read inspire you in that way? They don't because honestly, I feel like I read a lot of entrepreneur books now um, and mm-hmm. currently, but I do have um, a book from actually a guest that was just on recently that is called Tell Me Lies by Carola Levering, uh, Carola Levering, sorry. Um, and that's a great one. It's about like college kids and kind of just it's being made into a Hulu series this fall. So that one is wow. like, I just love kind of, I think I loved college so much and I loved being in my mm-hmm. late teens and twenties that I just, I feel like I'm still there. So to write about that would be really amazing. Bring me back. I only for pleasure, honestly, like some yes. people do not subscribe to that thought. They're like, Oh no, you got to continue to feed your mind with the things that you want to do and whatever. But you know, I'm just at this place in life. I'm just, I'm only going to do the things that, I want to do if at all I can help it, right? We have enough time to do the things that we have to do, the things that we need to do. If I'm going to read, guess what? I'm picking up some sci-fi and that's what it's going to be. So yeah, I have uh, to, yeah, keep, I I have to do that more because we have such a little time too. So like when mm-hmm. that time comes to sit with a book, it should be something fun and mindless in a sense. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> now to our last, what? And I'm sure this is going to be a great one, just like everything else has been. What advice would you give to someone in high school? So if I were to take this back to my classroom on next week, what would you say to those kids 14 to 18, 19-ish? I would say, don't worry. High school doesn't mean anything in the long run, (laughs) but work hard. make friends, connect with people and know that you are going to be successful down the road. Like don't sweat the Mm -hmm. small stuff and just know that it will all work out. If you work hard, network and make friends and think about what you want to do and follow your heart. Don't do a job because you think it pays well or follow somebody else's dreams, but you know, go for what you want to do. And nowadays, and I'm sure you tell your students this, this is not our parents' generation where you have to pick one career and stick with it till retirement. And that's what I try to talk about on my podcast quite often is that you can have multiple careers. And I think kids need to think about that. Like, what are your interests? And go go for all of them, right? Mm, go for it. Go for it. Don't just pigeonhole yourself into one thing. This is all I can do. I have to go to college and this, I got to figure it out all today. Right. It's like, take a breath. Yeah. It's not the end of the world. These things are important, but they're not always urgent. You don't have to have life figured out at 18 or 19 or 20 or 22 or 25. No. No. And it can change at any time. Because so many times people start with something and they go, like, I'm talking to a lot of clients now that are graduating from college with a degree that they want nothing to do with. And they're like, what do I do now? So you know what? Mm. Let's pivot. 
what else did you like? Were you in theater in high school? Like what else do you love and go for it? And I'm teaching my kids. I just had my 10 year old. He's wanted to be a veterinarian since he could talk. And he's now taking acting classes and theater classes. And he said, I want to be an actor. And I was like, okay, well, mommy and daddy came from that world. And I'm not sure how I feel about that, but whatever you want to do, but you can do both. So I'm like, you can still go down the path of taking your classes and getting into theater. And you can also go down the path to work with animals. So you can do both. And I think teaching Mm -hmm. kids at a young age that that's a possibility is only going to benefit them when they're in their twenties. Yep. Just be prepared for the work. Yeah. Just go after it, whatever it is, go after it with everything you got until you come to the realization that either, okay, this is great. I'm on the right path or I think I want to do something else, you know? So, but yes, go after it, go after it. Yep. Um, okay. Now we've come to the place where we need you to tell all of our wonderful listeners where they can find you. The social media, your podcast, everything, the whole shebang. Sure. So second act success really everywhere. You can search it in anywhere you listen to your podcast, um, Apple, Spotify, anywhere. It's just second act success. The website is great because it connects you to the podcast, to my social media. So that's secondactsuccess.co. Um, and then on Instagram, we're second act success. Um, Facebook, I'm on there a lot. That's secondactsuccess.co on Facebook. Um, and those are the main places. Um, if you want to work with me or take my course, that's all on the website as well. And I'm trying to be more active on TikTok and all the other social platforms too. So I'm kind of all over. Yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 2023 goals. Tell me. oh man the social media well here we are right we're gonna keep going for it with everything we got yep this is the living numbers podcast your host tony ramble signing off for our wonderful guests who did a fabulous job shannon that was great we're all like first name basis and everything yes (laughs) i love it Signing off, make sure you guys uh, like, subscribe, download, rate, review. Share this with someone who you think will enjoy it, which should be everybody. (laughs) Thank you, guys, and I will see you all in the next round.